Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 55. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Diamond Rowe, the Tetrarch Shredder who Afropunk described as, quote, the guitarist repping for black women making metal. Remember, the best thing you can do to support this podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and write a nice review and leave a five-star rating. You can find in-depth info on all of our guests at speakanddestroy.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And check out the other shows in the Pop Curse Podcast Network. So here it is, my conversation with Diamond Rowe. This is Speak and Destroy. Tell me about discovering music and what role that played in your life early on and and at what point you knew music was going to be more than just something you loved, but something you needed to actively participate in. And you come from a little bit of a musical family, right? Like a bit of a a dynasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like my dad, um, he's been in the music business for like 40 years now. So he's a um, he's a tour promoter. So, but he was mainly like. He did like um still does like arena tours but they're like pop and like R&B and like that kind of that side of things you know mm-hmm. like Prince and Michael Jackson and all that that kind of stuff. So I was always into music and like coming up I was more into like you know the typical stuff that like a kid would be into like rap and hip hop and you know uh, the Spice Girls all that kind of stuff that nice. was popular back then in sync. I'm a big cool stuff. I'm a big fan of Posh Spice. <laughs> Sporty Spice is my favorite thing. Um, but I was always kind of a tomboy, so that, you know. Um, so it was kind of that. And then uh, when I got into, I think it was like um, sixth, seventh grade, I ended up going to a private school, which is crazy. Um, and I had a friend, you know how, like, when you have a friend that's kind of older than you, you kind of, like, look up to them and, like, everything they talk about, you, like, kind of want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had, a, I had a friend that was, like, probably five actually three years older than me because she was the same age as my older brother and she kept like talking about um like she would always talk about Kurt Cobain and like Pearl Jam and like bands like that they were more like like Soundgarden like Chris Cornell all that kind of stuff um and I used to just but Kurt Cobain was like her mainstay she was obsessed with him like loved him wanted to marry him and you know he was he was dead at this time but still she was <laughs> obsessed with him um I mean and that, so, that, that happens you know Jim Morrison you know take oh pick. yeah <laughs> yeah. Kirk Cobain was hot, so I totally I totally agree. Um and, and so she I finally went home one day and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna check out who this Kirk Cobain dude is because she's always talking about it. And I like check out Nirvana. And it was pretty much from that point on that like I was like, Oh, this music is kinda cool. Like I think the first thing I heard was like their acoustic MTV, like acoustic acoustic mm. sessions or whatever, and I heard yeah. it was, like that Lake Lake of Fire. Um cover or whatever and i was like man this is pretty cool you know it was kind of like something gradual i could get into it wasn't too heavy so i was like oh i can i can get down with this and from then on i don't think i ever went back to really 
listening to like uh, the other stuff. I went from that to like I think that album, their acoustic album, and System of Down's Toxicity was like the first two like you know CDs I bought that were outside of what I would used to li- used to have listened to. Those were like um, your your gateway drugs. Into exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so after that, it was kind of like history. I just kept seeking more, you know. Now, um, let me ask you before we go forward into the rock thing, you know, growing up with your dad promoting a lot of big arena shows coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, and was this in Atlanta? This was in all over the country. So he I mean, I li- Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, um, but he he promoted like all, all over the country. Did you, as a little girl, did you get to meet any of the performers that that he worked with or have any cool experiences? Some of them. I was kind of young at the time, so he didn't really like me to be, like, backstage when I would come to shows or anything like that. Um, But, and, you know, hip-hop artists and, like, (laughs) artists like that are a little different. So, um, but I did, I I know Michael Jackson, like, he used to call my house sometimes. and um. But as a kid, it it was nothing to me. Like I didn't care. Like you know what I'm saying? I was of just course. Like, oh yeah. Um, I know me and like my bandmate Josh. Like we met R. Kelly um, when he did R. Kelly tour. Um, he did a Prince tour. I didn't meet Prince on that tour, but um, I was back there with him. Uh, I remember flying out to the Vegas show and uh, watching my dad do some work with him. So that was kind of cool. Um, so kind of stuff like that, but at that time, like I said, and now that I'm like actually into music, I don't, I'm like, man, that was kind of cool. And I didn't even care. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, you which know. is kind of cool though. Cause it, I mean, when that's just your experience, that's just your experience. It's not much different than if, you know, your dad was a banker or a carpenter, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like those are, yeah, those yeah. are his work colleagues. Those are, you know, work friends and things that are. And, and I, and I like, I, I specifically remember him having to drag me to that print show because <laughs> I did not want to go. I was like, he, he was like, you know, you and your mom can fly out to LA, I mean, to Vegas and come to the show. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go. Like, <laughs> like, I really don't want to go. I don't care about Prince. And my mom's like, come on, Prince is a great, you know, great musician. He's, you know, great entertainer. You'll really love the show. And I'm like, oh. And <laughs> so I went and I really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. I appreciate that I went now because he was amazing, but like then I didn't. So that just shows how much I just, it just was kind of a norm to me at the time. Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, my, my mom was a single mom and a, a secretary, but she was really into country music. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was first into like new wave and punk rock. And then I got into metal and hardcore. And, but you know, but when I was really little and she would play like crystal Gale and Johnny cash and Conway Twitty and, Dolly Not Parton nice. and all this stuff. I hated it when I was little. You know, when I was little, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, mom, this stuff is so lame. And then <laughs> way, way later as an adult, I'm like, man, my mom played so much cool, like legit, that was a good stuff. authentic country. Yeah. I know. Stuff that like hip- hipsters like now, you know? Oh, and it's crazy. Like for me, like with country, like I, like, you know, growing up in Georgia, I hated it. And like now that I live in LA, actually kind of listening to it sometimes like just reminds me of home. So I kind of right. like it a lot more. But <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. like like pop country. Like I'm really Same. weird. I like like Charlie Daniels and you know Hank and like I like stuff that sounds like more like old country Same than yeah. that new pop stuff. So the stuff you just named is really cool. Yeah, I, I grew up in Indiana, and I had sort of that same thing where you know being in 
California for the last almost 20 years, you know, going to stagecoach, for example, it's like I get like a, you know, a nostalgia when, you know, there's, I mean, gosh, I, you know, in California, I've gotten to see Merle Haggard and right. Ray Price and, you know, little Jimmy Dickens, some of these, some of these old cats before they died. And, and yeah, it, it gives me that, that feeling of like, the good things about growing up somewhere like Indiana as opposed exactly. to all the reasons I left Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You could not have hit the nail on the head any better than that. <laughs> so, so, okay. So you've got the MTV unplugged from Nirvana. You've got toxicity. You're going down the rabbit hole. You're buying records that are more and more in that vein. Mm -hmm. Where does playing guitar enter into the equation? Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't very long after that. I tell people all the time, like, I've always been the type of person that, like, I just don't like to sit on the sidelines for anything. Like, I remember, like, for instance, watching, like, on D Disney Channel, because that was, like, huge when I was coming up, but, like, mm -hmm. watching this show called Motocross and being like, dude, that's sick. I want to ride dirt bikes. Like, I've never been, like, so when I get into something, I always, like, want to do it. <laughs> I never just, so it was same with music. Like, when I got into this kind of music, I, I naturally wanted to, like, play guitar and like be in a band and it was interesting because I never remember like dwelling on what instrument I want to play or anything like that I just remember being in the car listening to music with my parents in the car like I, I had the rock station on or something and just randomly a thought popped in my head and I swear it sounds so weird but like I was like I want to play guitar and it, the rest is history from there like they were like and like my parents were the type especially my mom she was so stoked that I was like getting into something. Um, <laughs> she was like, I swear, I swear it was like that next like few days. She took me, bought like they bought me a guitar and put me in lessons like within like a two week span of me saying that. And so that's amazing. It, it, yeah, it was kind of like during that time of listening to Nirvana. I had started. I think a, a big way I had started was listening to like the radio, obviously. Um, and at that time, they were playing like a ton of Linkin Park and like you know corn and disturbed and like kind of like a little bit of like the heavier stuff they used to play on the radio um and so i think like just hearing that and stuff i was like you know i want to play guitar and i never put the guitar down really after that when they started putting me in lessons i would take it to the bathroom and like i would you know i just i'd never put it down for dinner i'd have it at the dinner table i think i would play like 12 or 13 hours a day it was wow. just wow and, and yeah. you know what's, what's cool about some of those bands you just referenced as well I would imagine starting as a guitar player. I mean, of course you're a shredder now, but mm -hmm. you know, one of the great things about Nirvana, for example, is those are just, those are great songs, but they're not complicated. You know, oh, like no. those are, you're just kind of learning your basic chords. And then even, you know, something like disturbed or whatever is like these power chords. And, you know, it's not, I mean, system systems, obviously one thing, but it's not as though you picked up guitar and started trying to play dream theater. <laughs> you know, oh no, like... but it's crazy. Cause when I did, like, I think, you know, when you go to guitar lessons, a lot of times they'll be like, okay, what are you into? And then they'll kind of like try to get you excited by teaching you a riff or mm -hmm. like, you know, a song that you really love. And I think the first two songs when they asked me was crazy train and inner Sandman. And like, those were, those <laughs> nice. were the two. And those are my first two songs I ever learned. So like when I started playing guitar, I kind of, more so went towards the stuff that was like entertainment not difficult but went towards right, the stuff that was compared more... to you know yeah. smells like teen spirit it's difficult exactly yeah i yeah. so i i didn't really like go to that stuff for guitar playing but it is what i was like kind of listening to before i kind of migrated on to like the the thrashier stuff that so, I eventually got to. So you brought up Metallica first. Sometimes I like to see how long until I I can keep myself from <laughs> just going there. Um, so yeah. So 
where and how and when did Metallica enter your world? So it's kind of it's a funny story because I was still young. I think I was probably 12, maybe 11 or 12. I think it was my 12th birthday I actually started playing guitar. But wow. um, it was like I bought <laughs> – so I had been obviously hearing about Metallica like a ton, especially I was watching MTV at the time, and I think it might have been like – was it the icon? I don't know what it was. It was something. And I was like, you know what? I need to go get a Metallica album. What I ended up doing was getting a tribute album, <clears throat> excuse me, a Metallica tribute album that was like an industrial Metallica tribute <laughs> album. And, you know, I didn't pay any, I didn't know any better. Of so course. I'm like, I'm at home listening and I'm like, you know, this is this is kind of cool, but like, is this like the biggest metal band in the world? Because it's just all right, you know. That's like when uh, uh, <laughs> I, I bought my first Black Flag record, and my older brother came in, and I'd listened to it like a, a few times already. And my older brother came in my room and said, "You know, you're listening to this on the wrong speed, right?" <laughs> <laughs> I, just, exactly. I, didn't even, I didn't even realize. <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, oh man, now it makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. So I, I listened to that record for probably like. I don't know, a couple of weeks. And I was just like, man, something's not right. And I I honestly think downloading or something at the time was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. And I went and like downloaded like a real, sorry, Lars, a real like, <laughs> like Metallica a song or something. And I was like, oh, that sounds nothing like it. And I went and looked and realized it was like a covers album by like industrial bands or some, something like that. That's I was amazing. Like, oh. So then, you know, I think the first, uh, Metallica album I bought was Master of Puppets and I uh I learned a lot of guitar to that record. So that is definitely that was like my introduction to Metallica for sure was that record. You know, and I love actually hearing that the MTV icon thing was important for you for a couple of reasons. Um one selfishly because I I worked at MTV at the time and I actually worked on that show. Oh nice. <laughs> but uh, That's sick. But but two um you know, that was a weird transitional period for the band it was their first big you know public outing with rob trujillo and and really sort of accepting and and, and the, the finality of, of newstead leaving the band um right. you know they were playing saint anger stuff for the first time and then just the lineup because of that time and music the lineup was completely different than it would have been a couple years before or a couple years after um oh yeah and, I, and i've i've since had uh you know both Derek and Brown Sound from Sum 41 on the show mm -hmm. talking about their performance because they were kind of, even though there were heavier bands at the show, they totally stole the show in terms of like... I was about to say, yeah. they actually did a really good performance. I remember that because everyone was so like skeptical about like, oh, Sum Oh, the pop punk kids trying to do metal and then they came out and just And just slayed it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. And I've seen them recently actually do another cover of that on like Series XM or something yeah, like that. And they I was did, like, yeah. Man, they're still killing that song. You know, they do a really good job. So, so awesome. I, I like hearing that because, you know, that the show was definitely rough around the edges in a lot of ways. And it's cool to know that despite all of its problems, <laughs> that there was, you know, a 12-year-old girl somewhere that ended up with Master of Puppets in her hand learning the riffs. Oh yeah, that show. You know, so that that's good. Like, it did some good in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I, and you know, I, it's, it's still cool to me maybe because... I have like, you know, my memories of it are profound. So like yeah, even time, I, place and circumstance. Yep. Exactly. When I watch it, you know, like I think I was watching some kind of monster recently or something and you know, they show a clip of it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Man, that was so cool. You know, I still think it's sick. Like corn was on there, you know, I think what Limp Biscuit was on mm -hmm. it. 
um, A- Avril, Avril. exactly. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's just like it's cool. Like obviously, like like you know, hearing their take on some of the songs. Sometimes you're like, that was kind of weird, but it's still cool to hear it like that, you know, because it's artists that literally don't play music anything like them. Yeah, that were that were given a shot, but it influenced them, and I thought that was super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely fun, and it was you know, I didn't get to meet the band that day, but just being at the show and working on it and kind of being around it and being the huge fan that I am. And, you know, I still, all these years later, I still have my MTV icon Metallica laminate. That's I, think I, I think I Instagrammed it again, not that long ago. Um, <laughs> you keep Instagramming. That's, yeah. That's right. Awesome. I mean, it was, you know, it, it's, it was a feather in the cap as a little, little fan from Indiana. No, that's sick. Um, so yeah. So let's get into those riffs. So you were, as you're going through Master of Puppets and you're learning riffs, are you are you learning solos as well at this point? Absolutely, yeah. So wow. um, obviously, you know, you start with like some of the easier stuff. Master of Puppets was actually the first solo I ever learned, and it uh, might have been your same man, but it was like one of the first like first three solos I ever learned in its entirety. Wow. And our band actually, when we first started playing shows, we covered the shit out of that song for like years until awesome. finally we were like old enough to be like, maybe we should take that out of the set. Um, we, uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I definitely, that I definitely play, um, learn the solos for. And I remember battery, like I started that a good bit, you know, it goes into that cool little riff before the solo. I always thought that was cool when mm-hmm. I got that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely was learning like the leads and stuff. I obviously learned the rhythms first, but whenever it got to the solo, I never, like, I don't remember any solo rhythms from any Metallica song because I always attempted to learn, you know, the solo first. That's awesome. That's awesome that you approached it that way. That probably really helped grow your playing in the direction that it went by not just assuming that you weren't like, oh, that's a part for someone else. Oh, yeah. That's a part for the guitar. I'm playing that part too. And I remember having this conversation with Josh, my band member, like some years ago, like, this was probably five or six years ago, but somebody was like, oh, her solos sound like Kurt Hammett. And, like, it scarred me. I was like, man, my solos sound too much like Kurt Hammett. And, like, seven years later, I'm like, dude, fuck that guy. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, like, but, like, yeah. back then, I was like, but it did. Like, they, he, and what was cool about it was, like, you know, they were really cool, memorable solos that, like, yes. everybody who's, like, a Metallica fan or not can sing a lot of them back. Mm-hmm. But, like, they weren't. What I liked about his approach to soloing is like, and I say this all the time, and it sounds so cliche, but like they were so cool for the songs. Like yes. he wasn't trying to be like the absolute best guitar player on planet Earth, but he was a he was really good guitar player for Metallica and wrote really cool parts for the songs at at hand. Exactly. And I thought that was really cool. That's approach I like to take now. Yeah, and it, it comes up on the on the podcast a lot too. I would say the same thing about Lars's drumming. You know, exactly it's mm-hmm. perfect for metallica like mm-hmm. you know, i literally was having that conversation with someone recently i was like they were like oh lars and i'm like dude no other drummer would be as good for metallica as lars and you anybody can argue that with me but i just i think that, that he is the perfect drummer for metallica like absolutely it's the, it's the it's the right feel it, it's so recognizable and i've said this a lot too you know when you get into songs like sad but true and i mean anything from and justice for all like there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of songs that you can cover and you know this from having covered songs where mm-hmm. the drums as long as it's keeping the basic tempos the fills and whatever can kind of 
be anything. But right. when you're covering a Metallica song, it's like those fills have to be the same. <laughs> oh, no. It's, just not the it's same like song. the part of the song, you know, and you're waiting, like Sabretree, you're waiting for that. You know, like you can't, I don't want to hear anybody else do anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And and I had somebody, a friend of mine who uh, sadly passed away this year, but a friend of mine who was a fantastic drummer that I grew up with, Mm -hmm. he actually pointed out to me once um, something that I just, that I didn't really recognize where he was like, you know, the thing with Lars is he's a little bit behind the beat. And once Mm -hmm. I figured out what that was and what that means, I was like, oh, and it's so recognizable you know it's cool he also has that kick pattern that he always plays like that kick pattern and like instead of like do cat do cat he always does like a do cat do cat do cat do cat it's always like behind it's not uh on the one it's interesting but that's you know nerd talk and that and that and that's what (laughs) and that's what's cool like you said about kirk's stuff is first of all how memorable the solos are and and you know and seeing that behind the scenes stuff where you know it'll be him and lars and Bob Rock or whoever sitting in the little control room, like mapping them out and just how much mm-hmm. feel there is. And yeah, oh, yeah. It, it doesn't have to, I mean, you know, I would say the same thing as a huge Megadeth fan. One of the things I like about the lead guitar players that Mustaine usually chooses is that they, he always picks somebody that has a different, more sort of polished technical style than he does. Right. And I think that that, I mean, obviously when Marty Friedman was in the band, it was so cool as a listener to be able to just, you know, listen to Hangar 18 and be like, that's Mustaine, that's mm-hmm. Friedman, that's Mustaine, that's mm-hmm. Marty. You know, like, uh, there's just, I don't know, there's something uh, distinctive about that. You know, it, it, not to say that shredders are a dime a dozen, but but having, like, perfect technique is a skill that you can learn from practice and practice and practice, whereas having an identifiable kind of signature feel and sound, that's that's a whole different talent. Oh, yeah. And I say that, too. And me and Josh, again, talk about it all the time. I sound like a old woman with my you know, cane <laughs> raising it in the yard. But I'm like, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of amazing, amazing, amazing guitar players nowadays. They're so good. Like they can they're so technical and they can shred your face off. But like there's not a lot of like character to them. Like, you know, like, you know, you had your like slash and you know, like you said, Dave Mustaine and a lot of Dimebag, a lot of guitar players back then that were like, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's Dimebag. You, that's Kurt. That's, you know, that's Dave. You know, you know it. But now it's like, it's so hard to tell the difference because, and that doesn't knock anything about how good they are. They're all amazing. But you can't teach that like character thing, you know, as much as you can teach, um, you know, technicality. So that was something right. that was very different. Right. That's such a mm-hmm. that's such a great way to put it. So, ha- have you had a chance to see the band yet? I've seen them. Uh, let's see, Summer Sanitarium, saw them on the tour of St. Anger, saw them at the Rose. I think I've seen them four times. Wow! Oh, did you you saw that Rose Bowl show that last one? I did. Yeah, I was there too. The Avenged Sevenfold and uh, mm-hmm. Gojira. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yep. I was there also. Great. great. Um, that was an amazing show. Yeah, oh, yeah. Y- you'd be surprised. I've had some Metallica super fans on the show who haven't been able to see them. <laughs> for I know. Whatever and, and reason. It, luckily, I th- like like I said, the first time I saw them was Summer Sanitarium 2003. Um, and that was with them, Linkin Park, Deftones, Mudvayne, and Limp Bizkit. Um, and that was my first metal show, actually. The first metal show. And I had my dad get some tickets 
from uh, a friend of his that was working the show. Mm-hmm. And it, nice. it was in Turner, Turner Field in Atlanta um, at the baseball stadium. So that was like such an experience to me, like on top of Metallica. That, like obviously, I think that was their first tour with Rob, but um, on top of just the amazing show it was, it was just an, a crazy, it was a crazy experience all around. Like I had never been to a metal show before. So it was like, you know, just having the moshing and mm-hmm. every, the crowd surfing, everything that was going on. It was, there was no cell phones back then, which I'm like, Oh, that sounds so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. So like that was the first time, but every show I've seen, seen has been awesome. Awesome. That's always. awesome. Yeah. That, that, um, Rose Bowl show was, was killer. And, you know, I also got to see them in recent years. Um, they did like a secret show at San Diego Comic-Con one year in like a 1200 cap nice. room. And I saw them at the music box, which is I think 1400. Um, so how, how is that experience seeing them? Is it, is it like, if, well, it's so loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it feels like they bring arena production into those shows, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's killer. And, and, and I also got to see them do the outdoor stage um, at Jimmy Kimmel. Um, oh, nice. On, yeah. On hardwired. And yeah, so I mean, those those experiences are amazing, and of course, I wouldn't trade them for anything. Uh, but you know, if, if I were to to tell someone, you know, if they were only able to see the band once and they had the choice between that intimate setting and the big arena setting, I would actually say big arena setting because I think they're one of those bands like Iron Maiden, where that's sort of that's that's the spot. You know, you yeah. want you want people singing along to the riffs <laughs> oh yeah you know. and i i say that too that's why i asked how was it because I, I would be like super nervous to see him in like a setting like that because i don't want to think of them as anything you know like obviously they're still metallic no matter if they play in a garage but like i like to think of them as this like massive band so like right. i love seeing them in those huge settings like that so like i know for instance like one of josh's favorite bands is green day mm-hmm. and you know we went and saw them at the Palladium, and he was just like, you know, that was sick, but, like, I wouldn't want to see him anywhere any smaller than that. He's like, you know, I really <laughs> right. like seeing them in the bigger setting. So uh, that's how I feel about Metallica. It's like, if I got the opportunity, I would absolutely take of it, course. of course. Yeah. But I, I like seeing them, you know, at the Rose Bowl. So Yeah, there's just <laughs> something about that communal experience um, where everybody's sharing in this, you know, the same moment on a large scale. And that's not, oh, yeah. yeah, and that doesn't work for everything but yeah i mean they were equally awesome in those in those smaller more intimate environments i also got to see them when they did the golden gods whatever year that oh was. yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and that you know that that was in the nokia in downtown la and that, that's a small place for them oh yeah and and then on top of that there's the production in there and you know so the actual audience isn't very big and um that was cool and that rob halford came out and did rapid fire with them and that's super cool. Um, yeah, it was it was great. But so, what would you say when you put on your guitar and you're warming up before a show or something? What are some of the go-to Metallica riffs that just come out of your fingers naturally? Ooh, it's all it's like, and I hate to mention it, it's always puppets. That's always the first one. Mm-hmm. That's like we we played that song so long, and it was one of the first songs I've known. So I've known that song the longest. I will always go to that. Did again and again and again. I always go to that riff. Always, always. Um, so it's that. Um, Inner Sandman's obviously a riff. Um, uh, the battery riff. I love the 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 battery riff. Um, 
strangely enough, sometimes Seek and Destroy. Mm. That's one that's easy. And just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's Blackened is another one. I play that riff all the time. Nice. Um, Jason Newstead riff. I love Newstead. He's my favorite bass player. Uh, <laughs> Me too. You know what? I don't think I, I don't think I've ever come out and said that on the podcast before. Well, here it is. I think I think I've hinted at it, but um, <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean I love all of them. I even love Ron McGovern. He he did something unique in, <laughs> on saying, the demo. That's saying something right there. But uh, but yeah, Newstead's Newstead's the one for me. And you know what it is? It the stage presence and exactly and the back the backup vocals. No disrespect to Rob or Kirk, but um, Newstead in the band was like another singer. That's what I say all the time. His 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 presence, his style, like his uh, like you said, his background vocals. Like there was a, a like a, I think a live shit he did. Didn't he sing like all of oh, yeah, Four there, Horsemen? There, there were periods so, where he where he did lead vocals on yeah. you know different on Four Horsemen, Creeping Death, um, Whiplash, uh, a bunch of a bunch of different songs, especially when they were in the load reload era when they would do the quote unquote early stuff. Um, a lot of times he would just, he would sing lead. And it was, and, yeah, it, awesome. and it was strong. Like if it fit, like it didn't sound, you know how like sometimes you'll hear another member sing and you're like, uh, can we just end yeah. this now? Yeah. It wasn't like that. It was, it was like a nice change of pace. So yeah. he's always been my favorite. Yeah. And then when he would do backups on something like of Wolf and Man or those kind of songs where he's like an, an extra Hetfield. Oh um, yeah. Nah, just, yeah, it was great. And his intensity. And, and then I also, this was a recent discovery of mine, but one of my favorite songs from the nineties is bleeding me. And there's a oh I love that song oh, so good there's <laughs> yeah. a there's a pro shot performance from Woodstock '99, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize until recently that um, he plays most of that song with his fingers. Oh, and it's like oh, so he could even do that. <laughs> he just yeah. he just I chose not to. Perfect. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he was talking about it too on uh, I think it was like um, a year and a half Metallica or something. How he when he learned to play bass he had to play so hard because he didn't have an amp mm. so he would just always like you know pick or whatever so hard so he can hear it and i'm like but that really comes through because he played bass so hard and i love i love that like i'm one so of those hard. people too even in a band just ask any of my band members people that don't play their instrument hard drive me nuts i like especially drummers i'm like hit your drums <laughs> you know and i know it's different for every style of like music yeah. so but like for metal like so Jason Newstead, he played with heart. He played super hard, and, and I, I love, love that so much. And I and, and of course, you know, Cliff and Rob both have their eccentricities and their groove and their feel and their unique personas, and you know, equal love for those guys. But yeah, if man, if I got to choose one, it's it's Newstead. I definitely oh, no yeah. no Robert, disrespect to Rob at all, but I but I, I definitely miss Newstead's uh, certain things about him live for sure. Oh, of course. And Rob is, Rob is like my second favorite. People are going to hang me because they love Cliff. <laughs> but like Rob is definitely my second favorite. And like, I think he was the perfect replacement. Like, I think he, he's filled the shoes so good. Definitely. But, and, he, and he also incorporates a bit of what both of those guys did. Exactly. Which I think yeah, is, is nice. You know, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, Kiko and Megadeth. He can do the Chris Bowen stuff. He can do the Marty Friedman stuff. He has his own style. Like, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's important when you come into a band later that you can do that. And, you know, I think for both of us, um, as revered as Cliff is, and rightfully so, you know, when you just generationally, when you got into the band, Rob was the bass player. And generationally, when I got into the band, Jason was the bass player. So exactly. we're going to yeah. hold them in a different regard than, you know, people that are older than both of us that, you know, got to see them with Cliff. Like, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get into them early enough to 
to ever actually see them with see Cliff. Cliff. So. Right, and it, it's really funny because our bass player, his name is Ryan, but he, um, he, you know, me and Josh, people would hate us if they heard our conversations like, <laughs> on tour, but like we, we always get into it because Ryan, he's kind of a like old soul as far as like 80s, like he, anything 80s, Ryan, or maybe even late 70s, Ryan is all about it. So like he, you know, he loves Cliff. And so he loves Jason too. Like I think Jason's probably his favorite, but he will go to bat for for Cliff all the time. And me and Josh are like, ugh, like <laughs> no, dude, Jason or Rob, you know. And that, but you're right. That's probably why because when we got in, when I got to into it, especially Cliff was long out of the band, you know. So yeah. like, so for me, it's like, and you know, those records are good, like Kill 'Em All and and like you know, Rife Lightning or whatever. Um, and mass and puppets and stuff awesome records but to me visually i always saw jason and and rob yeah yeah and for me when i got it when i got into the band garage days was the new release and jason was you know jason new kid Um, yeah so i was you know cliff's you know i had the cliff them all home video like his presence was definitely looming but that was my metallica was metallica with jason and that was yeah the first time i saw them was in 1988 and he was the bass player and that, that was just sort of you know that was oh i'm so band. jealous i would love to see them then <laughs> oh man, I, I saw them at uh i tell this on the podcast all the time so I'll, I'll make it quick but i saw them on monsters of rock with uh van hagar scorpions talking oh, metallica was crazy. second of five here's the thing i would totally watch van halen with sammy hagar and the scorpions today but at the time I was so diehard Metallica and so diehard thrash metal in general that my friend and I went, we stood with our middle fingers for all of Kingdom Come. <laughs> we watched Metallica and then we were home by like three in the afternoon or whatever. Sadly, you know, like I would totally watch, you know, Scorpions, all that sick, but that's totally me now. I'm, I'm that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my middle finger in the air, but I would just be like, you tired? You hungry? All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. You know what? Probably now I might leave for all, for totally different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Once I saw Metallica, I'd be good to go. But uh, yeah, and they were, uh, Justice was just about to come out the next month and they were playing Harvester of Sorrow. And of course they weren't on the radio and there was no internet. So right. that was the first time hearing a new song, you know? That's and, super cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was sick. Um, like so what's the what's the favorite record for you then? I mean, it's it's probably puppets then also. Um, you know, yes, because it has a special place in my heart. But I also I would say like evenly right behind or even with it for different reasons is Black and Injustice probably. Very nice. Oh, yeah, um, Black was you know interesting enough. Black album was the last Metallica album I ever bought. Like back when like you were buying cds and i had like a cd case and i like mm-hmm. had my metallica section black album was actually the very last one i bought which is interesting i don't know why but it it actually was and when i bought it i was like oh man now i see why everyone's talking about how sick it is you know but um it was the last and and uh but yeah that one and injustice i think are my faves yeah and just justice comes up a lot uh with guests on the podcast mm-hmm. as a as a seminal life changing record just as much as the first three. And and that becomes a generational thing, I think, too, because there were some fans who dipped out on the black album and then there were some who dipped out in the nineties and then so you know. Um yeah. and that that's something that when a band evolves it just happens. You know, I mean I've heard Lars say that they were there were people that were mad that 
ride the lightning on a ballot on it. So yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, at, at, every, at every turn, there's going to be someone that, that jumps someone off, but there's, but there's usually five more people that jump in when that one person jumps out. So exactly. And for me, like injustice was a, a really good, uh, guitar album yes so like as i was learning guitar and playing guitar that was another record that was really fun to to play um so you know i jammed to it a lot like like you mentioned the harvester of sorrows and dyer's eve like even just like instrumental stuff like that it's just it was really cool to play those songs and like break them into parts you know instrumentally and stuff like that so that probably has something to do with it as well I didn't play along to Black Album as much, but just song-wise, that song is just and just production-wise. That's production-wise. That album is still you it's put that next perfect. to any. Yeah, dude. I'm like, what? Listen to these drums. Like, it's it's just massive, and it's and it's like kind of timeless because you don't listen. Like, you know, you'll listen to like a lot of albums that came out early '90s, late '80s, and they and sound dated to that era. Yeah. Exactly. Like the Black Album still doesn't really to me. I mean, maybe like you know, it's like a. You know some vocal production stuff that's like kind of over the top, but not really. You still listen to it. And you're like, man, that's just that's just that's what you call a good album all around. So I don't see how anyone can hate it. But yeah, when uh, Blackville Brides did their record with Bob Rock a few years ago, I remember talking to Cece, their drummer, mm-hmm. and he was saying that he when he met with Bob Rock, Bob was like, so what are um what are some drum tones you like? You know, what are some <laughs> some references and some sounds that you know, that you'd be going for. And he was just like, uh, the black album. Like, and it's not, Bob has to know that that's, coming <laughs> that that's the answer that right? question. You know, it's funny. And producers always say that's their least favorite thing. Like when bands are like, so what kind of tone are you looking for? And bands are like, uh, we like the black album. And they're like, Oh, come on. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> yeah. Producers are like, cool. We don't have a year and a half and a million dollars. <laughs> exactly. I don't think you have a budget for that, but, uh, we'll get, we'll try to get as close as we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're right too. I can you, you can imagine there's a twinkle in Bob Rock's eye when he asks a drummer that. Oh yeah, what kind, oh, of, yeah, what kind of drum sounds do you want to go for? It's like, um, yours. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably more shocked when people don't say that. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. And people are like, yeah, I like what you do, but I want to do something totally different than what you do. He's probably like, why are why'd you call right me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you also. Actually, the last time we spoke, I had read the profile that Afropunk did with you, mm-hmm. um, which is very cool. And I'll probably put that in the show notes for people to check out. And, and I, I normally wouldn't go down this line of questioning if I hadn't read your answer already. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I've had Lizzie Hale on the podcast, and I, at no point did I ask her, what's it like being a woman in a metal band? Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, lazy and... and um, there's a, there's a twinge of sexism to it in and of itself because it's such a common refrain. And I know as, you know, I was the manager for the band Bleeding Through for 10 years, mm-hmm. and there's a woman in that band. And oh, yeah. I, I know from being their manager of <laughs> how often she, you know, discussed being a woman in a metal band and touring oh, yeah. with what dudes. That, and, what's that, Marta? Was she in? Yeah. She was in uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, I haven't really listened to that. Yeah, and she used to, you know, and I mean, that was always the first question when there was a question for her. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not taking it that way. Where I'm going with this is that in the Afropunk profile, you talked about how, yeah, obviously metal is generally perceived as a white and male dominated space. Mm-hmm. But your experience, as far as you tell it, hasn't been bad in that sense, no. right? Like it hasn't. No, like, and you know, like I say all the time, for a long time, I felt kind of bad about it because I felt like 
when people asked me that question, they expected me to say, you know, oh, yeah, it's been, you know, terrible or this, this and this has happened. And for a while, I used to talk to my band and be like, you know, I don't know what to say because, like, honestly, it's been pretty good for me. Um, and then they were just like, well, we'll say it's been pretty good for you. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> right. that's a good idea. Um, for me, it's been fine. And like I, I say, I, I don't know if it's because of the way that I look like I look at it. I like to perceive it. But for me, when people and I, I might have said this to you before, but it's like when people say like female fronted or something like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of women like, like, hate like that. that. Like that's a, it's a genre the same way that. I always think it's interesting when people talk about Christian music as a genre because it's like that's the only genre that's that's <laughs> named by like philosophical oh, content. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sta- yeah, and it's the same thing when it's like female fronted metal. It's like, well, if that's arch enemy, what does that mean? Because it it yeah. sounds like a male fronted band, and for all intents and purposes, and yeah, it, it's such a weird. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and I get where they're coming from. For me, like I totally understand why they're like you know they want to try to be equals. For me, I kind of look at it because, you know, for us, we'll get like it won't we don't get that in like press, but it's more like um, from fans or something. They'll be like, oh, Tetrock, they have that, you know, black lead guitar, black female lead guitar player. And like I could literally take that and be like, oh, that's so annoying. But for me, I look at it like sick. Like it's the one it's one thing about our band that makes us really stand out and it makes people like when someone says that they're like, Oh, I do know that band. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And for me, I'm like, hell yeah, that's sick. You know, it makes us stand out. It makes us not be like the rest because for me, and this is another raising the cane in the front yard. There's so many like bands that I like, you can, they all look the exact same. Mm-hmm. And so like, especially newer bands, like, I'm not talking about newer bands, but it's like, I couldn't tell you the difference between, the guitar player in that band and the guitar player in another one. They dress the same, right. look the same. Right. Um, and I can't expect other fans to either, unless they're just diehards of the band. So for me, I look at it as something that's kind of, that's kind of cool and just sets us apart. And I don't mind having to like get on stage and like prove like, yeah, I might look different or whatever than what you would usually see, but I play the shit out of the guitar and I don't play like a girl, play like a dude. And, you know, like a solo, like the dudes or whatever. So it's fine. And I enjoy, I enjoy that part of it. I enjoy the challenge. Um, so to me, I, I guess I just kind of find, found a way to turn it around and make it like a positive experience for me. And I get a lot of positives. We get a lot of positives out of it, I think, just because of that. And I think that that's a great perspective to have also when you think about, you know, another 12 year old black girl in Atlanta discovering your band mm-hmm. and, you know, getting inspired by you and reading interviews where you're like, yeah, I've made this a positive experience for myself. This hasn't been, you know, right. You're not lugging a cross around trying to fight your way into a, a space that isn't welcoming any, any more than living in America in general. Oh yeah. And <laughs> like, know? you know, like I said, like I just, I try to look at it as like a positive thing. And also it helps like, me and like our band, we are so competitive. Like we will compete with like a band just starting in the sixth grade or like Metallica that everyone is our competition. Like we're like, they played Metallica octane eight times. They only played us three times. We get so mad, but it's just like, for it's the same thing for me and like guitar playing. It's like, I've always been like my, who I look at as like my competition or my, like my influences have always been like, white males you know like i didn't have like people ask me a lot too like oh we're like 
is like Sister Rosetta Tharp, like your like your right. influence. And I'm like, no, like you know, like I didn't, you know, and she she was sick, like she didn't even fuck. She was up there just fucking shredding away. But um, no, like I listened to you know Kirk and James Hetfield and Dimebag, and like those were my my influences. So that's who I modeled myself off of. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like like I said, I it doesn't bother me at all. It's it's done a lot for our band. And I think if maybe not all women, because like not everybody has had great experiences with it. Um, but I think in some cases, maybe if some girls try to look at it as more of like a positive and it makes their band stand out a bit, like Angela Gossow from Arch Enemy is a fucking monster. Like mm-hmm. when she was in that band, like, yeah, she was a female, but like you could put her vocals up against, you know, anybody, any dude in that genre and it, it stands up, you know, so I think that's super cool if you, you can look at it as like a positive thing to be able to prove people wrong and 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 eventually you know they see you you belong there you could just say that your biggest guitar influence is the one solo from or the two solos from lloyd grant on the first metallica recording <laughs> <laughs> they would be like what <laughs> he's my number one those are the two yeah. those are the two greatest something just super obscure you know, you know? What's, what's interesting too is that for me growing up in indianapolis of all places we had a, a local thrash metal band called drop dead not to be confused with the more widely known drop dead and they were like the band that in the late 80s and early 90s they would open every thrash metal and crossover show that came to town so like when dri would play or or death angel or somebody like that would come through and do like their theater shows drop dead would always be like the local opener okay and for us as kids um especially in the late 80s and early 90s we didn't, you know, you don't think of local bands as any different than national bands. You know, we right. would we would get their autographs and, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. that's so cute. We thought of their demo tapes as albums, you know. It didn't, there wasn't any distinguishing for us. But, but the reason why I bring that up is, you know, there was a black dude who was the front man for that mm-hmm. band. And, you know, played guitar and sang. And so I, I didn't, I don't know, I, I didn't have this, and maybe also because of, of being into punk and uh you know, skinhead reggae and a lot, of, a lot of subculture stuff that always had a lot of black and brown representation. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think of it as like, oh, this is this is white music, you know, because right. it was like I had there was a big old black dude <laughs> yeah, in my favorite band. local band from the minute <laughs> I got into the scene, you know, so it was like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I always feel like it's a bit cliche when the line of questioning for a woman in a, in a metal band or a rock band for that matter is like, what's it like being a woman? But, but yeah, as I said, I was, I was really, um, I, I thought, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was fascinating and unique that what your, what your take on this was in, uh, in the Afropunk piece and, and full disclosure for people listening to this, um, you know, I worked with you on the bio for your band and I, and my, my approach would have been like, you know, obviously you look at a photo and you can see that the lead guitar player is a black woman. Right. So there's no need to really put that in there. And you were the one that was like, no, put it in there. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's no, a, you dude, know, like, that's I, a thing. Like, I'm we're, totally okay we're with not, it. We're and not like, trying you to, know, yeah, it, it, like it's, it's, it's something that yeah. makes us different, you know? Yeah. I think that's cool. I, I think. And, and another interesting aspect too, a lot of people, um, you know, they don't like, you know, saying like, oh, female fronted or like, you know, the butcher babies, like female fronted or whatever. Mm. Um, but for, it's interesting. And I noticed it's also maybe a little bit how 
it's presented like how the female in the band like presents themselves because trust me like if i had bodies like the girl like heidi and carl and the butcher babies like i'm sure i would dress like heidi, heidi and carl and, carl and the butcher babies but i don't so, so maybe that's what so i disguise. So, <laughs> so like for me it's like kind of like reba from code orange um mm. it's like we're very much like t-shirt jeans kind of girls you know like yeah t-shirt and jeans and we're like not super frilly or anything so you know maybe that kind of also helps the perception a little bit like it doesn't naturally always make people want to be like oh you know there's just that's a band just has girls in it or whatever um we just kind of we like to blend in do our job do it well um so if if you know I happen to be African American female, which is very different to see. So, like I said, I don't, I, I don't look at it as a gimmick. So, um, right, and I that's just, and I that's the distinction yeah. too. There's a difference between gimmick and and try, you know, the whole idea of like I'm colorblind, I don't see color. It's like, yeah, right. usually people that say that are like the most racist. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> I have a black friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a black friend, and I don't see my black friend as any different than my white friends. It's like well, obviously well, you do. So invisible. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's oh, that's cool. Yeah, and when yeah. for all the talk we hear about representation these days, I think you just made a really eloquent point, which is that there are you know, I mean, Carla's a black woman in a band. Yeah, you know, exactly. Brought up Butcher Babies, and it's like you're a black woman in a metal band. She's a black woman in a metal band. The two of you are very different and your bands are very different. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the most important thing in terms of representation is that there are different experiences and different types of people to mm-hmm. represent out there, you know? Oh yeah. And you can see it from di- you know different, much different aspects of like, and how we can be representative in the genre, you know, like not every female wants to represent like i do and not you know everyone wants to represent like carla does she's like one of my really good friends um but it is cool because they're two very different approaches but they both work so. yeah exactly yeah I, I i wouldn't say that i'm friends with her but i've met her a couple of times and she's been you know wondrously cool and she's oh yeah i believe a fellow midwesterner i think she's from michigan she is she so. she was here for a long time and now she lives with uh charlie in in uh chicago yeah i ran into both of them at comic-con and that's another crossover is our our love of comic culture nice she was um she was there doing a signing and charlie was with her so oh okay yeah both uh both hopefully future guests on speak and destroy oh yeah um okay so to land the plane here and you had to know this was coming Okay. Top five Metallica songs. We know oh. Ma- we know Master of Puppets is your number one because we talked about that already. Well, I don't know. You know, actually, oh. Unforgiven was my number one for a very long time. Um, so, and it might actually still be one of them. So I celebrate I, the whole Unforgiven trilogy. I'm not ashamed. Yeah, I do too. Me neither. Not at all. Unforgiven <laughs> two sick and yep. so is three. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> totally um, agree. Um, so yeah, Unforgiven would be one. Um, Puppets, of course. I have to say that. Um, Harvester, mm. Sorrow will be up there. Um, you know what? What is that? Three. Um, Disposable Heroes is actually up there for me. It's one nice. of my all-time favorites. And God, this is a, this is this question is retarded because it is like, <laughs> it's, it's, like it, it, it's it's like you know asking a parent who their favorite kid is. Exactly. Um, and uh, 
let's see. Should I pick a newer song? Or should I know I'm just like, hmm, which one of these should I pick? <laughs> um, you know, maybe. Damn, that's crazy. Uh, well, you know, when, um, I, when I had uh, Mark Tremonti on recently, we did Dream Metallica set list, and the set he put together was like three and a half hours long if it actually happened you know it's exactly like... <laughs> you'd be up there they'd be up there playing for the rest of their lives um i actually you know i'm just gonna pick and this might not even probably isn't even my top five but i love the song so i'm gonna pick where the wild things are from reload because i think oh, nice awesome. yeah deep cut a good deep yeah. cut too i you know I... load and reload come up all the time i have a uh Last Chance to Load, it's called. Somebody asked me the other day, uh, they're like, you mentioned it, but you don't say what it's called. It's called Last Chance to Load. It's on my Spotify profile. I, I, I did like a, you know, people that dismissed or rejected that era. Like, yeah. here's the, you know, kind of like when, when you do when you take Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and you condense it into like one perfect album. And you could have done that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got to add where the wild things are in. The, that's the thing is I love both of those records. So I try to approach that playlist from like okay here's a song that i know i love but might not like sell this idea the way that i'm trying to yeah i mean i mean some of those people are just lost i think because like for in like i had this discussion with somebody and it's like i understand if you grew up and you were listening to in 83 and you were listening to you know 81 or whatever kill them all and you know ride the lightning and then this band that you loved so much they hit you with black album and you're pissed about it and you're like well maybe they'll go back and they hit you with load and reload and you're like okay it's done <laughs> so i can see where like you would be mad but if you just take those albums for what they are they're really really good and especially like, if you like alice in chains if you'd like mm-hmm. a lot of the the you know early influences from metallica that predate you know thrash and all of that and right. and i mean Outlaw Torn is arguably amazing. one of their heaviest version. songs. It's I mean, awesome. it's, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Outlaw Torn is amazing. Bleeding Me is amazing. Where are the wild things are? I haven't thought about that song in a while, but yeah, I like that song a lot. Yeah, it's a great song. So yeah, I like that. You know what? Throw some load reload in, in that top five. It doesn't happen on here often enough. I yeah. just, you know, and I could, I absolutely could have made my top five, you know, there's no doubt about it. I could have made it just all old stuff, but I don't like neglecting new, like that kind of stuff because I think those albums are really, really good and they're super vibey, which is something yes. like talk are really incorporated into those records. And I love that vibey kind of stuff like that too. Me too. Like you said, the Alice in Chains type thing. So I'm going to show it some love. And, I just and, it, and those are records too that are great uh, road trip records, you know, oh, yeah. or on yeah. tour, you know, you like just throw them on and just let them play. Yeah. Cause they have, the, they have the peaks and valleys and storytelling to them. It's not just, a bunch of one thing in a row. Right. Agreed. Well, I love it. Well, Diamond, thank you so much for making the time to do this. The very first time we spoke, I think it was about 90 seconds in when I was like, I got to have you on my Metallica podcast. Yeah. Cause I was <laughs> Cause like, you love Metallica. Metallica. My favorite band. And you're like, Oh, perfect. Well, <laughs> so thank you for having me. I, I love, I love talking about Metallica. Uh, it's my pleasure. And I, and I, yeah. And I realized that I love talking about Metallica so much that I should do something productive with it. That's <laughs> how this did. was born. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, of course. Thank you. Glad we were able to do it. Don't be a stranger. Same. Same. Yeah, yeah. Keep in touch. 